It's time for Horrenda's Agenda, Bill's reflections on sports and life. Vance Wahlberg is the founding father of the dribble drive motion offense, one of the great innovators in the history of the game. He has coached at virtually every level of basketball. He's currently the head coach at Clovis West High School in Fresno, California. Coach, welcome to Horrenda's Agenda. Great to have you here. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Miss, miss being up there with you guys. Absolutely. And Coach, let's start with just the, the moment that you thought about the dribble drive motion offense. I know that it goes by different monikers, but can you take us back to when you started, started to think about how you could coach the game differently to your team's advantage? Well, it was really back in the mid-90s. Uh, I think that one thing that made me really think about it and get into it we were playing a team in the playoffs that we lost to twice during the year, once by 16, I think once by 20. And they only played really six players. The seventh player only played if somebody was in foul trouble. And I kind of went into the game at the playoffs. So I told my players, we're not taking one outside shot the whole game. Okay. The whole first half, the whole first half, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to attack the rack as hard as we can, see if we can get them in foul trouble and just put a ton of pressure on them. And lo and behold, you know, we're up 20 at halftime, win by 28. And it kind of made me think about, you know, how to attack the rack. Now, obviously, you know, you just can't do that the whole game. you got to be able to put a, you know, mix the outside shot in and out. But that kind of was the start of it. And then in the, in the mid-90s, late-90s, a lot of teams were running the three-out, two-in, if they did run a four out one in, the big man was always on the side of the ball. And for me at the high school level, my big man maybe was my fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh best player. And I had some pretty good guards at the time. They drive, beat their man, but the big guy always seemed to be in the way. So, you know, being not the smartest guy in the, in the world, I figured let's move to get the big guy out of the way. So that was kind of the start. We pushed them over. And then from there, every year that, you know, it, it, it's actually about, I never came out really to make the offense. All I did is little by little change what we did to our personnel. And that kind of helped start it. The other thing that really helped start it, Bill, was I was always a defensive coach. And we would press all the time. And after I saw Nolan Richardson, um, I really wanted to pressing a lot more. And then I decided that we would press on misses. Now, once we start pressing on misses, I couldn't run a traditional offense anymore in practice. So it kind of made us learn how to space things out. So the combination of the two things kind of started everything. Right. And, of course, that was the 40 minutes of hell. And prior to that, Coach, you go back to even – uh, Hubie Brown with the Knicks uh, and the Hawks previously in the mid-'80s where he was going 10 deep in the NBA and had two groups uh, that, that pressured. Uh, yep. So, so, and it almost sounds like to me that this was a little bit of trial and error for you and that you kind of – because correct me if I'm wrong, but did you implement simply the mentality of no outside shots in the playoffs in a playoff game? Yeah, that was that was in a playoff game, and little by little we started to realize why not be greedy, and let's try and get three points for every shot, whether it's the old-fashioned and one 
or the outside three. My players know, you know, obviously, you know, and I realized it a long time ago, you know, I always wanted to put pressure on the other team all the time. And I always felt if we didn't have the best team, maybe we could still beat the other team at the end of the game. If maybe if I had my five best players on the court and we had one of theirs fouled out, maybe had another one with four fouls. And you know, and I know somebody with four fouls, they play defense like Olay defense, so they don't get their fifth. So we try to put pressure on people by attacking the rack a lot. And then when did you, and you talked about spacing, Coach, and moving that big man out of being on the strong side at all times and being in the way in essence. You, you talked about moving him. So when did you realize that the three-point shot uh, and the spacing could maybe amplify what you were doing beyond just attacking the basket? Well, once you start attacking as much as we did, you know, the only way you're going to stop that is by, I mean, we were really persistent. And I had some really good guards at the time, the high school level, to where, you know, we we attacked so much that they, they, they had to pack it in, you know. So they, they were giving up the threes, you know. Then at the you know, same time, I was fortunate enough to high school. I was at, I was there for 13 years. And I know on my 12th year I was there, we had 17 players on the team. We had 16 of them play for me since first grade. And the 17th kid came in as a seventh grader. So these kids grew up knowing how to play the way I wanted them to play, the up-tempo, knowing how to take to the rack. And we spent a lot of time on shooting. So we put that combination of shooting the three and taking to the rack and the saying I always tell the kids are like threes, love layups, which means obviously <laughs> we like the three, but we really want to get to the rack. Because if you get to the rack, you get to the three for line, which I think gives you such a big advantage. Absolutely. And, of course, Coach, the numbers you know bear that out as far as those being the highest points per shot. And I remember you being so gracious, walking me through this, uh, in a very uh, demonstrative fashion at a coffee shop in Sacramento. And uh, <laughs> I remember people sitting around us. Uh, we were actually, in addition to X and O and on the napkin, getting up and down. Uh, so that, that was great. I, I will for, forever be thankful for you. And it sounds like, you know, your players, from the standpoint, like you said, you had them from early grammar school through high school, that they were indoctrinated into this system. And it seems like they really enjoyed it. And obviously you had a ton of success. Uh, am I right that your players really embraced this and, and loved it? They did. I mean, at the time we started, I started running it. And when it kind of caught, you know, I was, I didn't make this offense up for other coaches, for other teams. It's just what we, I felt was good for our personnel. You know, in the high school right. level, you don't get a lot of big guys, you know. And so for us to play a right. three out, two in, didn't make much sense. And then, you know, moving the big guys, you know, our so-called big guys could have been six three, six four. Moving him over, you know, was, wasn't that hard of a move and so forth. But what it did, it let the kids just play. And, you know, we would teach them the fundamentals. They knew how to pass. They knew how to shoot. They knew how to take the ball to the rack. Now what had to happen is when one thing would happen, we had to make sure we had everybody in the right position. So if they two-time here, we had to get the skip. If they 
5X stepped up on the drive, then we would make sure we dump it inside to the big guy. Then I learned that, you know, just through the years, there's so many different things. You know, straight line passes in the paint, turnovers go up. So we learned to throw the ball up high. If you watch the NBA right, now, right. that's what everybody does. You watch the NBA now, you watch how many people put, and I've worked with a lot of different NBA teams, where they put that big man on the opposite side. You know, so we you know they we call we call it the dunker. We put them in that dunker spot so they can clean up, catch the lobs and so forth. You know, I remember right. you know when the Clippers got DeAndre Jordan. You know, working with their coaches on what to do, and you can just see you know how much and how successful somebody like him or Clint Capella. You know, guys that yes. I think in the NBA now, you know, you can get a really good player just to play that spot. And it's not where it's going to cost you $25 million, $20 million. Because you know, and I know the game now is going, you know, you've you got to be strong on the perimeter. You've got to be able to have the guards that can shoot and the guys that can take it to the rack. And it's just, the game has just, I think, really changed in the last 10, 15 years. It, it, it really has. And, Coach, I'm going to run two quotes by you and just to get your reaction. One has to do with offense, one with defense. So Rick Pitino says, if you don't have three and a half shooters on the floor at all times, you're going to have a tough time winning. And UB Brown says, in college, you can hide two bad defenders. In the NBA, you can only hide one. What, what's your, your reaction to those quotes? Both very true. Both very true. You know, when I, when I started the offense, I had, players, I had a couple of players that could shoot and a couple could really take to the rack. And so what we worked on is the players that could really shoot, we, or the players that could really drive. And, and I think m- most coaches will probably have more players that can drive, that can shoot. You know, you go to the playground, you got all kinds of guys that just take it to the rack. But how many right. of them can really shoot? So what we would teach the guys that could really drive, we would, you know, they didn't have to shoot a fancy jump shot three. They just, we really worked on just catch square your feet, shoot, catch square your feet. Because a guy that can really drive, they were scared and they would back up anyway. Now, the kid that could really shoot it, it was a lot tougher teaching him to put the ball on the ground. So what we taught him was, hey, Bill, how to catch it, get rid of it, and cut. Teach him how to back cut, how to keep moving. And that was another weapon for him. But having at least three and a half shooters on the floor, I think nowadays, I think most teams want to have a minimum of four. You know, and now you watch a lot of teams get their five, you know, the five man is shooting a ton of trees now. You know, so I think that's really, really important. What you be talking about, you know, you can hide two college defense, uh, you know, two guys on defense in college. I, I, I agree with that. Hiding one in the NBA, I also agree. I think during the regular season, you could probably hide two in the NBA. But when it gets to playoff time, now it becomes a lot harder. Now they really take advantage of of who they can and when they can. Right, right. And you know what, Coach, it's interesting. When you look at – you mentioned big man and shooting. Now, Brooke Lopez, his first eight years in the league was three for 31 uh, in three-pointers, right? He only took 31. And before this season, the, the prior three years, he took 1,200, made 35% of them. And we see what a major impact that can have, the skill development uh, – on 450 of the best players in the world, not to mention, uh, you know, 
your ability to get the best out of players at every level. You've done it at every level uh, from uh, Philadelphia to, to, to Sacramento uh, in the NBA. Does, does playing this way make it – I'm fascinated by coaches and their ability to distill information. But to me, it almost it almost feels like playing this way – makes it easier because you know what you're doing. You know what your responsibilities are. I know you guys are, are breaking this down, right, in breakdown drills. So it's almost like it, it becomes second nature and part of just your system and your program. And it makes it easier for guys to execute under under pressure, regular playoffs, regular season, what have you. I, I think you're exactly right on that, But here's what happens. Think about it. They get the idea of traditional big men inside. Go back 20 years ago where, you know, most of the time, you had, you know, your four-man was 6'10", and he played inside, and you had your big inside. So they were both tamming that up. Now you come by with someone like Giannis who can take that ball to the rack like anybody. I mean, you know, he's 6'10", 6'11", one dribble, he's by you, and it's a dunk. But now if you put that big guy down there or two big guys down there, now you got nothing, you know, you're just jamming things up. So a lot of it depends on the, you know, and if you take a look, everybody's trying to get, you know, guys that can shoot the ball, guys that can take it to the rack. And, you know, when you get somebody special like a Steph Curry or a Giannis or a James Harden, you know, LeBron's just a freak of nature. I mean, he, he, he can take it, he can do whatever the heck he wants. But when you have that, now how do you space that floor? and not jam it up to where you let your best players take advantage of what they do best. Right, right. And, and Coach, you said you created this for your team's advantage. Uh, and, and then, of course, you went on to coach at Fresno City College at Pepperdine before the, you know, the NBA. Uh, but when did you realize that this was becoming popular? You know what I mean? And there, there are, whether they're urban legend or apocryphal or not, you know, with, with coaches like John Calipari, but when did you know that, that maybe you had something here that obviously was going to go beyond the walls of your gym? Honestly, Bill, what, I think what happened, we had a nine-year stretch. My last five years in high school, my four years in junior college, we went 292 and 27 running it. And That's pretty I good. Think, yeah, and I think back to it, and I'm going, wow. You know, and I remember when I went to junior college, you know, I left an upper middle high school where if I had one brother a year on the team, I was lucky. Um, so we were more white than anything else. And I went to junior college, a lot of coaches in the state in California. And I still remember one of them, you know, I hear you're going to have a tough time with the, you know, with the African-American players, you know. Basically, you know, I didn't coach them in my last 13 years at the high school I was at. So what's funny is that a lot of the players I got, they were almost every one of them out of American junior college. You get a lot of those. They absolutely loved it because they had the freedom to play the way they played the best. You know, a lot of them could really take it to the rack, which I had, you know, before I didn't have as many, they could take it to the rack like they could. You know, then you sprinkle on a couple of shooters. And next thing I know, I, I still remember that first year, one coach came to me and said, you know, you're probably going to struggle some. And, you know, we start off 24-0. and 0. My center's only 6'5". My, you know, my my two forwards were 6'2 and 5'10". 
so we could really shoot the heck out of the ball. That, that is unbelievable. So you went 24-0 out of the gate. In your, this is at uh, Fresno City College. In your, this is your first year coaching now? My first year coaching there. We end up, we end up losing the state championship game, and we were 38-2 that year. Um, my first three years, we went 100 wins and five losses. My last year, we went, I believe it was like, I think it was 33-6, and six, which was the worst year that we had. Huh, that's amazing. And, Coach, how do you feel when you hear folks complain about how the three-point shot is ruining the game or, you know, they, they compare ears? How do, you, how do you feel when you hear that? It doesn't bother me a bit. I laugh. If I hope I play the team that doesn't take a lot of threes. <laughs> I, know, I know this, Bill. When I watch a team warm up against us, and I see him take a lot of 15 and 18 footers. I always feel like inside, the odds of us winning go up so much. Because if they're going to settle for 15 and 18 footers, and I know we're going to get to the rack or we're going to get to the three. And again, it's not like I want to go crazy and shoot a lot of threes. That's not it. I want to go yeah. crazy taking it to the rack. And that's where I think a lot of people get confused. Now, I know, you know, Coach Cal and myself, John, you know, we differ on, on zone. See, I am one against the zone. See, John's still going to be a lot more patient. For me, when we move the ball against the zone, if we get an open three, I want my players to take it. We, I don't want mm-hmm. them to hesitate. Now, I think mm-hmm. the key to, re, to really being good on zone is how do you offensive rebound out of it. I think that's really important. See, I'm, I've always been a gambler, so we send – I always send four to the boards, one back. Okay. okay. Against a zone or at any time? Any time. Any time. But yeah. against the yep. zone, what happens quite a bit is the other thing that we do on, on, on our offensive rebounding is whenever my biggest weak side, which is a lot of the times, when that shot goes up, he's got to drive middle. And then I love my weak side wing coming in baseline and my guy up top coming right through that gut there. So you got three people on that from half half to the weak side over, and we try to get that rebound there. Then the other thing that we do is my back player is usually my best shooter. It's my two-man most of the time. And he's back at the NBA three, unless somebody leaks behind him. And then if we grab that offensive rebound and our shoulders aren't facing the basket where we can get an easy put back, we just reverse pivot. That person drags around. We give them another two or three or four threes more a game. And I think that really hurts them. You know, when I was in junior college, like I said, we were 133 and 11, and we only got zoned five and a half games in my four oh. years there. And the reason why is those five games, we hit 17, 17, 19. I think it was like 21 and 23 threes. And you know what it's like when 17 threes go in you. In a 40, this is a 40-minute game. It's not a 48-minute game. And then that half of the game, I still remember we, we played Porterville JC. We were 19 for 31 from the three in the first half. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, that not, is outstanding. Yeah, that's incendiary, Coach. Yeah. yeah. John won't, you know, Cal won't do that. I will. It, to me, if I can get a good three, I'll take it. No. And again, it's the way we shoot and how much we shoot and the drills that we shoot and the confidence we have, we'll do that. 
Now, obviously, I would rather take it to the rack more. But against the, on a normal game, we usually like to get two out of three shots being inside, one out of three being a three. You know, usually against a zone, it might flip or at least be 50-50. Right. right. And, Coach, how about in the NBA, I've heard you say that it's tough to play this way because it's hard. To, it's, it's difficult to cut hard over 82 games. Yes. So, like, what, what adjustments would you make or did you make, you know, in Philly, in Sacramento? Like, what were, what were the adjustments that to try to – to maximize this this offense. Well, George Carl George was a very smart coach in a lot of aspects. You know, before I even came into the NBA, George flew me out a couple weekends. He wanted to know more about what we did and what the philosophy was and so forth. So I went met with George. What George more than anything else understood is, you know, in the NBA you can't go. You know, I, I say it now. You can't go three or key, but <laughs> Houston's definitely doing that. A lot more teams are doing that. But what George did more than anybody else back then is instead of taking, say, 20, 25, 30 of the mid-range shots or more, he wanted to get it down in that, you know, 8, 10, 12, 13 range. And so when if you go back and look when his teams led the league in scoring, it's because their mid-range shots went up, attacking the rack went up more, and the threes, a few more threes went up, but they went to the philosophy attacking the rack more. And I think that is one of the biggest things. The reason it's hard to do in the NBA all the time, but again, it's not that you can't. It's just that do the real superstars want to pass and cut all the time? See, passing and cutting, you know, I really teach that when you pass, you got to cut really hard to try. And the reason I want you to cut is I want you to try and get an easy score because a lot of times the defender will turn his head when you cut. The other reason you want to cut hard is that you open up that gap for your teammate to be able to drive. But a lot of NBA offenses, you know, their best player, once they pass, they're going to stand there. You know, a lot of coaches right, aren't, right. You, know, you know, they're going to control more than what you're going to control. Right. So times that they'll come out and they'll run certain plays, you know, they'll run a little action where they get that triple gap to open that up for them. But to do it consistently, you know, I, I just think it's a little bit harder. Right, right, right. Exactly. And, you know, going back, I'll never forget, you know, you talk about the ability to finish and score. I remember driving and Rick Pitino was being interviewed. I mean, this could be like 20 years ago. And it may have been Jim Rome who asked him, like, what was the first thing he looked for in players that he was recruiting? And his answers shocked me. I thought it was going to be quickness and the ability to defend on ball, you know, to be able to turn people over. But he said the ability to finish. Because, because his, his rationale was, what good is it if you can turn people over if you're quick if you can't finish at the, at the other end? And uh, that's something that, that's always stuck with me uh, that, you know, that's just such a, a vital quality to, to have. Uh, and, again, this was, you know, this was many moons ago before the, the evolution that the game has, has taken on. Again, he's exactly right. And, the, and the, the nice part about this now is that when you drive with that big out of the way, or not in the way as much, 
And when the big does come to challenge you, what we teach our players, if you can't finish it yourself, just get it up high enough over the outstretched arms of, the big, of their big, and our big will clean it up. And I think that has really changed the game quite a bit. Right. right. And Coach, let me flip the, the distilling information question to you because uh, just a couple of things. You know, I, I often think, too, about Stan Van Gundy and Steve Clifford was on his staff in Orlando when they went small due to injury, right? Didn't they move Rashard Lewis to the four, and they did it almost out of uh, – out of necessity there, yep. but is it is it more? And a corollary to that question is it more difficult to distill information to players in the NBA just because you have more games, you've got more elite talent. Like how how, did, how does that work in your gut preparing players uh, in the NBA for games compared to at other levels? Well, there's. There's a couple of things there. One, they are so talented. I, I, I don't think a lot of the normal people understand when you see six nine, six ten, six eleven players, and now they're even seven footers. But six nine, six ten, six eleven guys that used to be just kind of big guys inside, kind of stay there, do their thing. The way they move, the way they shoot, the way they handle the ball now, the game has changed so much. And think about it yourself. And this is why I always was. What good would it do for me as a high school coach? I get a, finally get a 6'6 kid, but he can't really finish. And he's kind of clumsy, and he doesn't move that well. And normally what happens with a lot of big guys, you know, I still remember I had some pretty good guards that would drive this, this to the big guy, and he'd go up, get a block, or he'd go up, get fouled, go to the free throw line, miss both free throws. And now you're really frustrated. So what's the difference of, playing a seven-footer or playing a, a guy three or four inches smaller who might grab two less rebounds a game, but he can spread the floor out more. He can shoot it better. He can drive it better. And he's just a better athlete. He just runs the floor better. So I think the game has just changed so much that way. Um, and then the, the players, they just pick things up so easy. You know, besides being great athletes, they pick things up. And when you play 100 games a year, they've seen just about every scenario come at them. They know what's going to come, where it's going to come, how do I make this pass to that player. So they're just, you know, going from high school when I made the jump to junior college and then to Division One, and then when you got to the NBA, you know, it's just so impressive. It's just seeing the talent level at each level. Right. And, and and also, you know, I, I've seen Steve Clifford talk about this, too, where the players at that level, Coach, have, have been coached by some terrific people, you know, particularly veteran guys. You know what I mean? They've been around the league. So it's, it's almost uh, – and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's just so important to bring that type of credibility to the table where you, they respect you and they understand that you're going to help them – uh, in this present job with this present team and help them, you know, maybe even extend their careers because they've been coached by great coaches. You know what I'm saying? In, in comparison to maybe someone who's just coming into the league or someone who's just coming from an AAU program into a division one program. I, I think that's something too, that's perhaps overlooked. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was at Denver, Andre Miller, 
Andre, my God, I don't think I ever saw Andre jump more than six inches off the ground. <laughs> you know? that's, like, that's like me, Coach. Yeah, I couldn't now jump the Sunday newspaper. You know? I couldn't slide it under me, yeah. But it's just an absolute stud mentally, physically, just how tough he was. I think uh, I think at the time, and that's what created the problem when, when we left there and um, God, who was it? Byron Scott took over. Was that who? Oh, you know what? It, it was, uh, uh, you know what? The gem uh, oh, Brian from, Shaw. from the Bay Area. Brian Shaw. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. When yes. Brian took over, well, he sat, you know, he, he didn't let Andre know and he sat Andre out and that made that created a problem. Well, what happened is Andre took a lot of pride in not missing and not sitting out any games. I think it was like his 11th or 12th year in the league, and he might have missed four or five games total. Now, that's a guard only missing four or five games total. And I think two of them was because he got, you know, he got suspended or got in trouble or whatever for fighting. I, I can't remember what. Mm-hmm. Andre hated to miss. Andre would make people look so good. It was unbelievable. When we picked up JaVale McGee that year in that trade with Washington, when we sent Nene over there, I'm telling you what, Andre made Javel a lot of money because he hit him at the right time, at the right place. He gave him all those lobs. It was a perfect fit. So when you get somebody, you see somebody like Andre, who just it's just so smart, and you just watch him, and you go watch him work with the younger. You know, we had Ty Lawson on the team at that time, talking and working with Ty. It was just a lot of fun to watch and see. Absolutely. I can imagine. And, Coach, You've talked about something different every year, future trends. What, what do you think we're going to see more of? How is, is the game going to evolve in, in the short term? I, I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to share any trade secrets because I know your opposition could be listening to this, but I'm just curious what you uh, foresee changing, maybe, maybe in the short term. Well, it's, I think one of the, you know, when I went to the dribble drive, I didn't, I didn't do it to try and change anything or whatever else. You know, I was just lucky enough and things that fell in position in place for me. Um, and that became, and, and at the time, back in the early 2000s, when I started seeing it really being successful, I, in my own mind, I said, you know what, this is going to change some, some people in the way we play. Some people are going to, you know, there was so much jealousy at the time because people would watch us and they would say, well, you're not really coaching. You sit on the side and your guys run up and down or whatever. But the coaching comes in practice, okay? And I think what I try to do back then, I still think some coaches are doing it now. I think the next trend or the, the big trend is what I would, I think when you can play two point guards at one time, I think it gives you such a big advantage. Um, it's something I always like to do. Um, obviously, it's nice if one of the point guards is like six five, six six in the NBA. But you can get two point guards to be able to run things and have that smarts like Andre Miller or Rajon Rondo, guys that know what to do, how to get the ball. I think that's something that is also, and you're gonna you see some teams that do it. But I think that's another trend. I think you're gonna see down the line. Hey, Coach, I've heard Fran Fraschilla talk about that as well and, and talking about having uh, two co-pilots on the floor at, at, the, at the same time. And Stan Van Gundy and others have talked about that as well, but that is uh, t- terrific. 
it's something certainly to keep uh, to keep an eye on. And you know, Coach, here's another one I wanted to run by you. Uh, Hubie Brown says that in high school and college, coaches determine who wins. He can look at a box score and and, and understand that and that is the coaching influence. He believes that strongly determines who wins and loses. And in the NBA, it's the players who win games and the coaches who lose games. Do you agree with that? Well, I think any good coach is always going to make it. When you win, it's always your players. When you lose, it's always the coach. I mean, that's just that's the way we, as a coach, you have to handle it. I know I can be on my players a lot harder when we win than when we lose, or at least I know I am that way. And I always saw George do it that way. When I had my time in Philly with Brett Brown, Brett was, you know, we didn't win a lot during that time, but Brett was phenomenal how to deal with those losses when we were going through that stretch. But I, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I still think, <laughs> and I think most people will say this, you know, you can do all the, you can be as good a coach as you want. It's still going to be the players that win the games for you. You might be able to help pull one or two more out. You know, the, the, here's, here's what I would always tell my, my kids and, and different coaches. I think if you're a good coach, okay, if you're, if you're a good team, you're going to win. You know, you should win one out of two close games. Okay. Okay. I think if you're a really good team, you can win two out of three, right? And I think when when you can win two out of three close games, I think you're doing a really good job. I think you got a pretty darn good team. But I found out when you got a really special team, you don't play a lot of close games. <laughs> that's right. That's okay. Point. Yeah. And that's because you have a lot of talent. You don't play a lot of close games. You can be a really good coach. And you know and I know it comes down, it could be a referee's call, it could be a misfree throw. You're flipping a coin when it comes down to the end. But the really good teams have the really good players where you don't play a lot of close games. Excellent. Coach, listen, this has been so much fun. Uh, with your permission, if you, if you pick up the phone the next time I call, I'll, I'll give you a lot of credit. But uh, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. But I, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a great deep dive into uh, – just some good basketball talk and some coaching. And, and I can't tell you how much we, we truly appreciate your time. Anytime, Bill. Appreciate you. Thank you. You too, Coach. Thanks so much. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill Horenda.